Welcome to a post-season edition. Not post-season, like we're talking about the Bills in the playoffs, but post-season as in after the season, the autopsy of the season, post-mortem season of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, to talk about it here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Network Systems, and Jerry Sullivan of WIVB Channel 4 fame. He's joined us to talk about the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I'm treating this as a cold open. I don't have an agenda here. Uh, I don't have a checklist of things to hit. I just uh, open the floor, I guess, to our guest. Since uh, he's uh, joining us here out of the goodness of his heart. Am I the guest? You're the guest, yes. Okay. These other two guys are out all the time. Oh, okay. We, uh, Thanks we for both, watching. We both right. Thanks, thanks for checking out the podcast. I've been on once, but you know, there's too many podcasts. I'm like, uh, I was just yelling at my wife this morning because she's saying, do you know it's her fault out there on satellite? And I go, I don't want to hear about it. You know, I had a radio. What does she have to do with it that you're yelling at her about it? She thinks that at 65 years old, I'm going to go out there and start some multi-million dollar podcast. Oh, but, you know, I'm kind of coasting into retirement here. I, I don't, I don't need that kind of pressure, but um, well, thanks for having me. Certainly. You've been coasting into retirement for a good 15 years. I've been doing that for a while. <laughs> you know, you've seen me in action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that man. is not so. the case. That is not the case. Uh, the Jerry Sullivan that I met, we came and picked you up. Mike Harrington and I came and picked you up in Mike Harrington's car to drive down to Olean for a... Uh, must have been for Bonneville. a St. Bonaventure Temple game. It was the game where the cookies were thrown on the court. Oh, you were at that game. Yeah, I had just started, and I was doing a tour. Howard Smith, the executive sports editor, had me going around checking out all the things. So I wasn't writing, and so he said, I want you to go experience a St. Bonaventure basketball game. Go with uh, Jerry and, and Mike Harrington down the down to the southern tier, and and which is a very smart way to go about it with a new employee, actually. And, um, yeah, that was my first uh, exposure to, to Jerry Sullivan. And I, you did not take your foot off the gas ever. I was, I was being totally facetious when I said you were coasting into retirement because you would go into every event, whether it was a Bills preseason game or, I don't know, I mean, all the different things that we've covered, and you had your game face on. You were there to write, and you were prepared, and you had done your research, and you had your notepad of stuff that you'd probably been working on for a, since last night, and uh, there to write at least one column, maybe maybe two, depending on the deadline situations. All right. That, that, thanks for that. Yeah, and I uh, yeah, sometimes four. Well, I always worked out of fear. I don't know well, what you guys are like. It's, I still have nightmares about uh, literally – several times a week about being at Olympics and Super Bowls and not having written or be wandering around, not being able to find the press box. So I'm, I'm tortured that way, but I do like, yeah, I do. And always did make it harder on myself. Like last week, you know, at the IVB, if they don't hear from me for a week, for a week, it'd be, Hey, what are you doing? And last Monday I said, man, what am I going to do? Maybe I'll write a story about, you know, the bills title games that I went to. And I said, no, I'm going to do four in a row over four days on each game and interview 10 guys. And so, and I, and I did that and I had a great time. And so, uh, yeah, I, 
I like I like work. I like interviewing and researching. But uh, I also like column writing, but I don't do as much of that. So I kind of, and I'm rambling here. So I had a week of retrospective and being sort of like an old, not a fan, but admiring the old guys and writing for fans and writing features. And then after Super Bowl, I kind of reset to the columnists that people love to hate and uh, wrote a column for the Gazette because I just, I had some thoughts and I didn't think it had been written by anybody else. The way they lost that game and how miserable and uh, how, how much it reminded of what they did in those Super Bowls in the old days. So there's the, there's the connection. Um, and then we can take it from there. I mean, you guys obviously have your opinions. It was a great season, but the way it ended stung. And it made you ask the questions you're supposed to act, ask if you're a, a columnist and a critic, which is how much is it like those days? How much could it be different? Are they more like the Carolina with Cam Newton that went from 15 and one to six, six and 10? Are they going to just win double digit games every year? And that's, what's fun about what we do. Yeah, that was, um, in reading your column, I found myself nodding along, agreeing with a lot. There was actually one point you made that I thought was one of your more optimistic points that I actually had a, that I wanted to contend with a little bit here. And because you bring up those Carolina teams and you, in, in your column, you mentioned that Josh Allen is more equipped to bring them back year after year than Cam Newton was. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily true when you go back into that moment in time in Carolina Panthers history and who, who Cam Newton was and who Josh Allen is now. Um, what makes you feel that way? I, I never felt Newton was a great passer. I'd have, look back and he, he completed at a pretty high percentage right away in his career. Um, I felt he was more runner than Josh. Josh's running has been a surprise to us. The way he threw the ball this year, I think is better than Newton ever did. But uh, you make a good point. I mean, two, three years into Newton's career, I mean, he, he was a superstar. He was an MVP. So maybe I, it was almost like a contradiction to say that that couldn't happen. But I, I do think he shows signs of being a, a better pure passer than Newton, but obviously when he's backing up and getting sacked for 53 yards in a game, uh, there, there's, there's gotta be questions. Um, and, and he, he needs to evolve. Um, and perhaps I did minimize what Newton was, but it's glad to know that I was a little too optimistic at, at a point in that column. Cause I don't think a lot of the re other readers would have felt that way. Oh, I think it's fair to, I think your point is fair. I don't think it's like inarguable that, that Josh Allen is, uh, but I do think Cam Newton wasn't, wasn't a slappy either. He'd won an MVP and, and he'd done some things. He wore down is what happened. He, he mm -hmm. broke down and um, things around him broke down, which I think will be worth following here in Buffalo, how much they can keep this group together. Because I think the main point you made in that column or the main, you know, thesis of it was that this window this might've been as open as the window gets um, given the year their quarterback had and the way everything went. Brandon Bean even mentioned today how healthy they were. He said it might not be realistic to match this offensive effort. He was already kind of couching, you know, next year and saying, you know, we'll be hoping for top five, but it might be hard to, hard to match this effort because we were so healthy in, in 2020. So the window may not ever be as open. It doesn't mean it slams shut, 
it just means this was a, a hell of an opportunity that they missed. And it's because of how significant a gap there is between the Chiefs and the Bills that maybe um, people had convinced themselves wasn't either wasn't there or wasn't as big as it is. You could yeah, it you only take a, a very unfortunate injury. And I don't mean the type that leaves you out for a couple of weeks. It's the nagging injuries, the things that accumulate. And you're talking about Cam Newton. That's similar or something as silly as a toe injury. Now I'm not saying like Pat Mahomes toe injury, but you know, the great Jack Lambert, you know, one of the most ferocious players, arguably the most ferocious player in NFL history, his career ended with a toe injury. He couldn't play anymore. Uh, and you imagine, you know, Josh Allen having to decide whether or not he's going to tuck the ball and run or roll right when he's got a bad toe. I mean, as silly as that may sound, that could be something that really impacts one season. And then as contracts start spiraling and the quarterback starts drawing money away from those other positions when he's no longer on the rookie deal um, and you want to retain guys like Tredavious White and hopefully you draft well and Stefan Diggs is going to come up eventually. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that need that play off each other from year to year. Yeah, there are no Stephon guarantees. Diggs may want more this offseason. Who's to say? I mean, he's well below market value. Uh, at the moment on his contract. I don't think he would be out of bounds asking for more, um, even though they, they helped him out a little bit last year when he got here. Um, Cole Beasley might want more money. Um, he's pretty underpaid. A lot of people will point to the guys that they have on, that are contracts already expired, Matt Milano, uh, Darrell Williams, John Feliciano. But I look at the guys that – the unforeseen financial problems. Those guys aren't easy to replace. They're not easy Even to if replace. You're going to say, okay, we can save money there. I mean, everybody was talking about what a revelation Darrell Williams was, and oh, they found a right tackle, thankfully. Well, Feliciano's a good player, f- too. They love him. Same I'm sorry? with Milano. Felici- they love Feliciano. Oh, too, absolutely. Right? You know, it's Versatility. like. Imagine where they'd be if they didn't have Feliciano this year because Morse's injury and, you know, whatever. But I think about a lot of the guy, those are financial problems that they could see coming in some respect. They knew the cap was going to go down, you know, as of about almost 12 months ago. Now they had a good idea of that. Um, They knew these contracts were expiring. They've seen that for a while. I think about the unforeseen financial problems that may pop up. If Diggs wants more money, if Beasley wants more money, if Micah Hyde doesn't want to enter the final year of his contract on a lame duck deal when everybody around him in the secondary has been rewarded because he's grossly underpaid at this point too. So that's the, the aspect of team building that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean haven't reached yet. This is now what they're at. And you mentioned Josh Allen. Uh, this might be the off season for him. Do you pick up the fifth year option on Tremaine Edmonds? Do you have to cut, all these guys that you signed to this highest paid defensive line in football uh, because it wasn't very good. But like you said, Tim, you have to replace all these guys. You could say you don't save any money on your salary cap with Darrell Williams, John Feliciano and Matt Milano. They're already not on your 2021 cap because their contracts are up. You could cut guys like John Brown, Vernon Butler, uh, Quentin Jefferson, even Mario Addison and save North of $6 million in every case. But, who fills those spots? That's where you have to draft well, and the spotlight will really be on the guys they've already drafted, the Ed Olivers, the A.J. Epinesas, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, and so forth, 
and then their their depth will really be tested. You can't just use free agency as one big band aid when you have a quarterback that's getting paid thir- somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty five to forty five million dollars a year, which is probably what Josh Allen is going to command. I, I do think. That. Go go ahead, John. We have a nerd. Well, thank you, Jerry. I do think this is a little bit of a chicken little argument, and not just what you're saying, but from what I've heard from a lot of Bills fans and, and reporters, because, you know, things can get better, too. And this is, it, it, I guess I'm saying when people say Dan Marino in 84 or Aaron Rodgers early in his career, he got to one Super Bowl and never came back. Yeah, of course that could happen. Things could get better. Things could, this could be the beginning of the window for the Bills. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important to remember that this is, whatever window they're in, I think that they're in the beginning stages of this window. If they get a year, two, three years on the line and they haven't gotten any farther, they haven't gotten any better, maybe the roster has gotten worse, then it might be time to say, hey, you know, we missed our opportunity. But it's very, as good as this team was in the regular season and the playoffs, they got further than I think anybody really thought they were going to go before the season came. Josh Allen was definitely better than anybody thought he was going to be this season. There's a lot of reasons to be encouraged. This team is young. They have they should have some cap space depending how things go. This isn't, you know, I think time to panic about not winning the Super Bowl this year and not having another opportunity to do it again. They're young, but in some cases they're older. The Beasley Brown is older in terms of two of your top receivers in the NFL being over 30 is, is pretty rare if you look. And they looked the greatest wide receiver core in the league looked pretty, pretty ordinary the other night. One thing I wanted to ask you, Tim, I had this thought last night when I was thinking about coming on that the loss of innocence, I I mentioned that every team has after, you know, an amazing year. I know this is their, the the fourth year being a McDermott, but in some ways it reminded me of the 06, 07 uh, Sabres. Uh, A year after they were surprised, they were expected to win it all the next year. And you could, comment because you covered that team it seemed to be a little loss of innocence when everyone expected it and things got a little tight the next year yeah the uh okay so i'm exploring this i'm articulating this as i'm thinking about it um i agree uh my my initial reaction is that i agree that team did win the president's trophy uh, having the best regular season record uh, in the nhl and they kind of cruised to that um that's how good they were and I remember having, um, having a discussion with Danny Briere. We were walking out of the, uh, the Pepsi Center. Uh, I think it's called the Northtown Center now, the practice rink there. Um, in uh... Jonah, you can, you, can talk, you can ask that question out loud. Well, you're you in the middle of a sentence. Uh, you're assuming I, th- I know how to answer that technologically, and I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking <laughs> here. I'm <laughs> I'm not drinking. Tim, I thought you were. I wish. Retrospective about me. I'm just drinking coffee. I was going to ask you, was I drinking in the car to Olean at that night or even in the press room? (laughs) Uh, We stopped uh, stopped for one on the way home. Okay. And I saw Mike Harrington drink a beer. Probably the only time I ever saw him drink a beer. So I'm sorry. Beautiful friendship. (laughs) That's a fact. Well, you were were talking about those those, uh, Sabres. Jerry wants to move the conversation along. Uh, Jerry's got multiple people he needs to make happy here. Um, Yeah, so I remember talking to Danny Briere. We were walking out of the the practice rink there and had a discussion where he said, I don't think we're – where he didn't think they were ready for the playoffs mentally. He said, I'm trying to get these guys going. 
Like that, this is different. Once we're going to hit the playoffs, it's different. And it was a young team, even though it had experienced a deep run in the playoffs the year before. And I'm talking about, and I'm not blaming them. I'm just mentioning young guys' names, Derek Roy, Thomas Vanek, Ryan Miller, um, Paul Gostad. Uh, you know, these were all very important. Jason Pominville, very important members of the team. Uh, and Danny's forecast was they aren't mentally ready. They are, everybody's just taking this a little too lightly because it has come so smoothly for us. And they ran into some turbulence and didn't, they ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals again and got destroyed. They ended up winning a game. Um, I think it was 4-1 was the final, but it, it, it very easily could have been a sweep. And, um, and you could even tell a couple of games in, Lindy Ruff is pretty good at telegraphing his, his thoughts uh, with the media that Lindy Ruff was, he was already looking into his bag of tricks to try to get them through that series. Um, and, and uh, yeah, they weren't, they weren't ready and they weren't, they didn't take it uh, the way that they did. And this was a team that if you look at it, like these current bills should, you would say in the 06 tournament that the Sabres were going to be battle tested. Now they know what it takes. Now all the things that we're saying about the current bills, you're absolutely right, Jerry. Um, and then it did come easily. And so all throughout the next season, it was like, see, we're, we've here, we, we have arrived and we're proving it every night, but regular season hockey is so much different than postseason hockey. And it's the same with the NFL. We saw it, uh, the bills in the, throughout the month of December, easy wins, easy wins. And that was a question I tried to ask Sean McDermott, um, after the first postseason game. Um, none of them and are easy, going Tim. into Baltimore. I'm sorry. He said, none of them are easy, Tim. It's yeah. Never and easy. It's like, yeah. And Hey, none of them are, e- none of them are easy. And my point was, was it good that you finally had a game where you had to win a close one? Does it maybe get you reset? Does it recalibrate you? And again, that's not to say that that was the problem Sunday against the chiefs, but that's probably where my question came from was the experience of having covered a team that where it did come too easily. And then by the time they figured out, Oh, wait a minute, it was too late. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a, I think that's a great comparison, Jerry. But I think you can make a comparison to draw parallels on the other side. The easy one that everybody makes is the 88 or 89 bills, but you could also look at the chiefs two years ago, lost the AFC championship at home with a young team and they came back better and stronger. And I don't know if the bills will do that, but they very well could. That's the question, really. Are we talking about are we talking about Brady, Manning, Mahomes that where the quarterback is so good he kind of surmounts any problems, salary, et cetera? Or is it Rivers, Breeze, guys who well, Breeze won a lot. Rivers, or Matt Ryan. Uh, where where's Allen going to fall in that? That's that's the big. I don't think Allen is nearly as good as Mahomes, but I do. That's a good point. If he's that good they'll keep being good regardless of what else happens on the roster, Matt. I think the big difference with that Chiefs team, and it's a fair one to bring up, Jonah, because I do think a lot of times we – in Buffalo, there's only been like these handful of teams that are even as good as the 2020 Bills were. So we go to 88 Bills or or 06, 07 Sabres, which are good comparisons. (laughs) Yeah, you know, they're good comparisons, and I think it helps contextualize it for people. 
but there are other examples like those Chiefs. The big difference when I look back at those Chiefs, because that's what a lot of people wondered, even our, our Kansas City writer here at The Athletic, Nate Taylor, said, you know, this could be that moment for the Bills where they come up short, but the next year they're better off for it like the Chiefs were. The difference is the, that game went to overtime when the Chiefs played the Patriots in the AFC Championship. Uh, Tom Brady beat the Chiefs in overtime. Patrick Mahomes had a great game that day. He was – I guess it wasn't great, but 117 rating, 295, three touchdowns, no picks. He fumbled once but didn't lose it, didn't turn the ball over, only completed just over 50% of his passes, but he did well. Um, and Josh Allen didn't. Uh, Josh Allen didn't play great against the Ravens. He didn't play well against the Chiefs. So, and they got sort of blown out. Um, you know, they got beat pretty convincingly compared to that that Chiefs team that lost in overtime and was really so close to being there against Tom Brady and the Patriots that were in the twilight of their very long successful run. The Chiefs are not going anywhere. That roadblock, you know, the roadblock was the Patriots two years ago, and they just kept getting worse. They weren't even there uh, in the AFC title game for the Chiefs. The problem is the roadblock for the Bills is not going anywhere. Those Chiefs are, are whether they win this Super Bowl or not, are going to be a problem in January for the Bills and everybody else in the AFC as long as Patrick Mahomes is playing. Could they become like the Pats, though, in the AFC East in that you just write in five wins every year because the AFC East is so bad? Or do you think people are underestimating how how quickly those three teams could come on? I would say the latter. I think the Dolphins are very close already, and they're they're a very good quarter, a very good team without a quarterback. Uh, or th- I should say, they 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 were a good team even without a quarterback. Um, so if they're able to figure that out, which is not easy, but if they're able to figure that out, I think the Dolphins become very difficult. And I think he, I'm going to give the greatest head coach in NFL history the benefit of the doubt that they aren't as far off as everyone thinks. Now, I could be wrong. I could be foolish, but I have a tendency to believe in trend and in the history of things. And um, let, let's also keep in mind, Bill Belichick runs that team's roster too. So this is not only the greatest coach in NFL history, granted having Tom Brady makes that job a lot easier, but also a guy who's had to navigate the roster needs year in, year out, Started off as a defensive first team when Tom Brady, we, we didn't know who he was, uh, and then had to shift to a, a full throttle uh, offensive team in 2007, 2008, then for a while, then had to go back to it. And that's something that Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott are going to have to figure out here. Defenses get worse. You don't stake a dynasty on defenses. Think of all the great defenses in NFL history. They, they won a Super Bowl. Um, the, the 85 Bears won one Super Bowl. The Legion of Boom was together for one Super Bowl before it started falling by the wayside. Then the Seahawks had to shift more towards offensive football. Um, often, you know, Raven. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are not young. Um, you're going you're you're gonna to have pay, to pay for Josh Allen's contract and the weapons that he needs is going to cost a lot more money uh, than is able to keep your defense intact and to keep restocking your defense. Anyways, 
that's why hit on draft picks, right? That's what Brandon Bean said today is like, they don't have the money to use free agency as a bandaid and a blanket solution and their draft picks. They hit the big one, you know, they hit Josh Allen, but outside of that, there's not a draft pick that they've made since 2018, you know, when Brandon Bean arrived that, I think is a no brainer home run pick, you know, Tremaine Edmonds is a pretty good player, but you know, Darius Leonard was sitting there and that guy's a really good player. Uh, he's a, he's better than Tremaine Edmonds right now, I think. Um, so yeah, it's about will the, will Tremaine Edmonds Ed Oliver that? hasn't made any kind of massive impact. AJ Epinesa had trouble getting on the field this year. Right, and those are high picks. Those are top 10 in Oliver's case, second round in Epinesa's case. You need those guys to become not just, you know, I don't, and both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean kind of said this as, about Ed Oliver. I don't care for this idea that, oh, he's a lot better than the stats indicate or if you're watching certain things. Pretty good is not good enough for a guy that was supposed to be the next Aaron Donald, a guy that was a top 10 pick, a guy that plays a position that can make an impact by bringing down the quarterback. So you need that guy to be more of a top 10 pick week in, week out. You need, you need these picks to hit, you know, Taron Johnson made the big play. Um, but you know, there's a lot of picks that are still kind of floating out there in terms of whether they're good or not. I think the big question to Jerry's point about the AFC East is what those teams all do at, at quarterback, because there's, Deshaun Watson's floating around there. There's talk that maybe he could force his way out. Does he land in New York or Miami? Because if he does, that changes the division. Do the Patriots go out and get somebody like Matthew Stafford? Um, Or, you know, do they hit on a quarterback in the draft? You know, that's what's going to change the division more than anything. For now, in the short term, you look at those rosters and you think, well, none of them have a quarterback, so the Bills are good to go for now. But that changes on a dime if – any one or more than one of those teams find the guy under center because, you know, they, I think in the case of every team, maybe outside of the jets, there are some other pieces there that you would think, yeah, if if they get a quarterback, it could work. Matt, what about Edmonds? Because I, I just, I know he was hurt, but he had some pretty bad moments. He was invisible the other night. What happens when it's time for him, when his agent asks to have him paid as a top, 10 linebacker in the league. I I think that could be a big problem. Yeah, I think if, and this is where I didn't get a chance to ask Brandon Bean specifically, but what I'm really curious about is when they get to a point where they have to start evaluating guys that they brought in because they haven't really, they've sort of gotten to that point, but not really, you know, they, where they have to have an honest conversation with themselves. Is this guy worth, the fifth year option. I think they're going to kick the can down the road, pick up the option and buy themselves some time before they do what you're talking about and pay him like a top 10 linebacker in football. He's not necessarily a bad player, but he's not a difference maker. And, you know, he played with the shoulder. I thought he had a good game against the Ravens, maybe his best game as a bill. But like you said, then he's invisible against the chiefs. Um, that's a major, major question. And the next year, you're just going to have the same question with Ed Oliver, uh, you know, and to Tim's point, I think he's just been kind of a guy a lot of the times. Yeah. He takes on double teams. Yeah. He, he gets some pressure, but not a difference maker. And if you're going to put the resources into your defense, they better be difference makers. They better be guys like 
Trey White, who he came up pretty small the other night as well. Um, but at least you think most weeks he can take out a top receiver. Not many guys are taking out Tyreek Hill, but yeah, I don't think Edmonds is worth it right now. I think he still has to show it. And that's part of the problem with backfilling some of these, you know, and covering up some of these holes is that when you have to have honest conversation with yourself about Tim, you and I uh, were kind of batting this around with Brandon Bean on the, the show when he came on at the end of last year, like, how do you even evaluate Josh Allen if you're Brandon Bean? Isn't he like, I mean, now it's easy because he blew it out of the water, but that's the guy that your professional reputation is staked to. You know, same with Tremaine Edmonds in a, to a much lesser extent, but your a contract says, yeah, we got this one right, you know, and kind of covers it up. You have to almost, it's tough to do, but you have to sit there and say, man, I don't know if this guy's, worth it he's pretty good but we got to let him walk which sounds like might happen with Matt Milano who's really good too is there any you think Milano might be better than Edmonds is there any scenario where they keep Milano and eventually let Edmonds walk and maybe Milano is the Luke Quickly of this defense yeah he plays a different position but I think you can make that work I, you know you can I think you can get by with a lesser player or a lesser athlete, an easier to find player at Edmonds's spot than you can at Milano's spot. So depends how they want to play defense and what they want it to look like. But listening to Brandon Bean today, he gave some, he gave a similar answer to Matt Milano as he gave to the Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips questions last year, and even let it slip that Matt Milano wants to and deserves to test free agency. And when a guy does that, particularly a guy that is as talented as Matt Milano and has played as well as he has and is still really young, I think he's a more of a commodity on the free agent market than Shaq Lawson or Jordan Phillips were. Then you're in a spot where, yeah, he tests free agency, he might as well be gone. So if they let him get to that point, um, I feel like that that's kind of it for them because he'll get a big offer. Do they have to make a choice money-wise between Milano and Edmonds in the long run? Can you pay – two linebackers, big money, and fit it under your cap? It's a trade-off somewhere, right? You pay those two guys, then you're not – you can't do it and keep the highest-paid defensive line in football, you know, um, which is an amazing fact that they have the highest-paid defensive line in football, and nobody would consider that a strength of their can't team. Can't stop the run or – Right. The they have the highest-paid defensive line in football, and that doesn't really account for Ed Oliver and A.J. Epinesa, their top two draft picks each of the last two years. And or Harrison Phillips or Harrison Phillips, who basically, you know, got phased out in a big way this year. Another high draft pick that didn't really work out. Devin Singletary is a huge question mark. He didn't he hasn't really worked out through two seasons. Um, so, yeah, you have to reimagine what you're doing on defense if you plan to build around those two linebackers. I think it can be done. Uh, they sort of did it in, in Carolina with Thomas Davis and uh, Luke Keekley. Uh, but you need to be able to draft around there. You need to say, all right, we're going to keep that revolving door going opposite Tredavious White at cornerback because we can't pay somebody like Josh Norman $6 million a year. Or I think the Micah Hyde question is a big one, uh, and I asked Brandon Bean about it today, but he's entering the final year of his deal. He just watched Tredavious White get a huge contract, but more importantly, he also watched Jordan Poyer get a pretty you know, healthy extension that made him a lot higher paid than, than Micah Hyde. And he's getting a little old. So 
Yeah, you got to make tough decisions. You can pay Edmonds and Milano, but it's going to cost you somewhere else. I think it can eventually result in a philosophical clash with the general manager and the head coach. Because if your head coach is, uh, hangs his hat on one side of the ball and the team is supposed to be built on the other side, what happens between them sometimes? What I'm saying is you know, Bill Polian's model with his teams is you spend 65%, 60 to 65 on offense because you've got that quarterback and you go on offense and you fill in on defense. What if, what if McDermott's saying, you know, but I want guys for my defense. And I think was it early on that there was a point where they were getting a lot of defensive help. But if I'm the general manager, it's like, I got a quarterback, I'm going to pay $40 million. I'm putting offensive assets out there. I'm throwing the ball 70% of the time. You make it work with defense, but I'm spending more money for Josh Allen. And that's what teams have been doing. I think that if you take a look at the best teams in the NFL, they make do on defense more than they really set the tone on defense. Right. I mean, we take a look at Kansas City. Kansas City has a pretty dynamic defense. At least they looked at against the Bills on Sunday. But I mean, it's a they, few difference makers, right? It's Chris Jones. It's Tyron Matthew. It's really good coverage. And the other thing is, it's Steve Spagnolo. If you have Sean McDermott, I think the idea should be you can get by with less on defense because of how bright a defensive mind you are. Uh, particularly in a league where it's not as important. That was a pretty glaring thing the other night was that Steve Spag, now granted, probably going up against a tougher offense, the Bills were, you know, the Chiefs are better on offense than the Bills, but not dramatically so in the regular season. But Steve Spagnolo and and Sean McDermott both running that Jim Johnson defense and Steve Spagnolo kicked his ass. They ran it way better. They did a much better job game planning for the Bills on defense than the Bills did for the Chiefs. And, yeah, I think if you have that coach, the idea should be, all right, you know, we're – but to Sully's point, in Sean McDermott's end-of-season, you know, press conference, it was, you know, do we need to play better defense? You're damn right we do. Do we need to run the ball better? You're absolutely right we do. And that can be a, a scary thing to hear, I think, Uh after the year they had on offense to be like, we need to run the ball better. They do in a sense, but you don't want to go all Pete Carroll on it and, you know, take the ball out of your quarterback's hands. So that's a, that's something to watch philosophy wise, how much Sean McDermott can be comfortable sticking with this air it out style that Brian Dable has going and how much, you know, he wants to, push back a little bit and get to running the ball. And um, I don't know. We saw his philosophy change on Sunday night. He was so right, aggressive. Keep going, keep going. Cause we're getting there. We're getting he, there. He was so aggressive on Sunday night and then, or he was so aggressive throughout the season on Sunday night. And he went back into his, into his shell and started kicking field goals instead of going for touchdowns. So um, he's got to look in the mirror first, I, I think, you know, as much as anything. Yeah, he wasn't a difference maker the other night, except in a negative way. And he's a done big time a very nice way. job here. He's gotten this team to three playoffs. But there are times when Sean McDermott, to me, doesn't look like an above-average head coach. And you know when you need to be? In tough times. In the Texas, that Texans game and in this game, it's, you know, when you're rolling, you don't need to make a difference as a head coach. The last two times he really needed him to be a great head coach. I mean, last the guys around the country were calling it bizarro the coaching in the Houston game in the playoffs last year. And th this game, the two field goals, 
How about three field goals? Yeah, the, well, the, opening you know, the, the opening drive, the second one, <laughs> the but opening drive gets glossed over. But they had fourth and three in Chiefs territory with the ball first and a chance to say, you know what, to, a chance to really set the tone and say we're gonna just go up seven here and, and make a statement and you know send a message to our guys. They went for fourth and one earlier. They get fourth and three, kick the field goal, go up three nothing. Got to get those points. Got to get that early lead and. I think that one sort of set the tone for the rest of from win probability calculations and the analytics. I think that one was actually considered the worst decision of the three. In the comeback game, Marv Levy went on fourth and five in the third quarter. I think they were down 11. You think of him as old conservative guy. (laughs) Yeah, that was before they had all all these numbers. The Bills still lose that game, though. If Sean McDermott's aggressive on all of those calls, I still think the Bills lose the game. Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. It's, it's hard to like see how things would shift and what what it would do to the the guys. But yeah, they they got smoked. I mean, that loser's mentality. That Green Bay probably loses, but that doesn't that doesn't diminish the what a colossally bad decision it was. Yeah, it didn't it's even the give yourself a chance. Mentality to say, well, we would have lost anyway. Um, and I'm saying Mahomes would have sucked if the Bills. I'm hearing that a lot. Right? I'm not saying that to Jonah. I'm not saying that Jonah is saying we, but you know, I don't. We, my point on that is the people that are saying, oh, if they go for those fourth downs, they win the game. And I think if you do the math and you look at the fact they weren't going to – it's unrealistic to think they're going to convert all three of those third downs and turn all three of those drives into touchdowns. Even if they did, it doesn't add up to enough points. And I was okay with a couple of those field goal calls, especially the one before the half. You take the points. You see teams that screw themselves up, I think, by not taking the points when they're available to them. Indianapolis a couple weeks ago. And the real crux of the issue is you need to trust your defense to get the stop and you need to trust your offense to make the play. And I think when coaches don't go for it on fourth down, the fans think they don't know how to do math and don't know what the right play is. I think the coaches don't think their offense can get the conversion and maybe say, oh, they didn't show the faith in the offense. But I think Sean McDermott knew something about the way his team was playing in the matchups that those fourth down calls wouldn't have went in their favor. And maybe this goes back to what we referenced earlier in this podcast regarding Josh Allen and not playing uh, up to his usual, his regular season standards in the playoffs. Uh, I can understand looking at that situation, fourth and two, fourth and goal from the two and saying, all right, we better kick the field goal. But if this is week 10, if this is week, anything else where Josh Allen looks like every, you know, our Joshy, uh, he's unstoppable which is the case. I mean, the guy, I cannot picture Josh Allen on the run, rolling one direction or in a, whether it be a read option or whatever, all the different things that Brian Dable has shown through the first 20 weeks of the season, not picking up two yards. I don't care if you're at the goal line or not. If Josh Allen at 240 pounds can't scramble and find two yards to get into the end zone, then that to me says either, Sean McDermott's too scared, or if he is smart enough, he realized that his quarterback wasn't going to get it. So either way, it's a it's a damning it's an indictment either way. So either Sean McDermott, you know, I guess it could be both. I guess he could have been he could have been scared. He could have been not smart and and uh, didn't think that uh, that Josh Allen was going to get. But there was no confidence there. There was no confidence. Says this for the morale. Are you kidding me? 
Does yeah, what does that do? You know, football players yeah. work. I mean, Mr. Tough Guy, you want your team to be happy that you kick the field goal in that situation for their morale? What is that? One thing here, wait, let me let me get a read in here. I, and we have gotten very negative on a team that did win the division by three weeks and uh, host a couple of playoff games, win them, get to the AFC championship game. But we're on a on a bit of a roll here. The bar uh, let me raised, remind Tim. everyone that uh, Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. CTBK. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. All right. Sorry, boys. Yeah, we're uh, being a little critical, which is the way the media will be in, in towns where they have a critical media after big losses, you know. If you, no, I get it. I, I think I had enough upset. during this past week of TV news people dressed up in Bill's gear and saying we and showing pictures of their little kids on the websites. You know, this is where people like us afterwards get to be critical. Absolutely. Sorry. Well, if you want to criticize the fans, we could do. I could do that for an hour. What were we it. talking about there? There, I had a thought pop into my head before I did the CTBK read. We were talking about talking about how, how scared Allen. they were at the fact that they didn't. Shouldn't you have a play in your playbook that gets you two yards in that situation? Like that's the thing about planning and game planning. These guys that sleep in their oh, damn offices. Oh, here's the point I'll make before I forget it. Here's another instance, and I don't know what we can read between the lines on this. This I thought, and I sent Matt a text. He can attest to it. I said, this game is over. And a big reason why I said it was over after the Chiefs made, it, made up the initial, it wasn't like the Chiefs were up by three scores. They had just pretty much made up the nine-point differential. Miko Hardman fumbles and sets up the Bills for that point-blank touchdown to make it nine to nothing. What did Andy Reid do and the offense? They went right back to Nicole Hardman. You're going to score our touchdown for us. You're going to get us down this field. This is your mistake. You got us out of it, but we know you can. 50-yard run to set up that other one. That, and then that touchdown puts him up. I sent Matt a text. I said, chalk it up. And the reason being, we saw it later in the game. Early in the second quarter, Devin Singletary drops a pass. And what happens to Devin Singletary? He's stuck on the sideline for the rest of the half. Now, Maybe that's right, but that's a difference between how Sean McDermott handles get when things got a little shaky. Sean McDermott handled it totally different than Andy Reid with Miko Hardman. Miko Hardman, he was like, "Okay, mistakes happen." With with Devin Singletary, it, there was punishment involved. You are being punished, and I I don't know what that. I I just I don't know if what message that sends in general. I'm kind of opening that up as I found that interesting. And I found it very psychologically reinforcing to the Bills, if you're up 9 nothing, to see that the reason they're up 9 nothing has that one guy just wiped it out. Yeah, that, they, uh, you need the Chiefs to make a mistake. You needed them to make – they made the mistake, and then you know what? Sorry, that guy just went ahead and, and got him 14 points. Now what are yeah, you going to do about it? Well, we're going to bench our guy. 
It's interesting. The benching of players is something Sean McDermott has done. Zach Moss's fumble got him benched for a while. And I always find it interesting. It's as if Devin Singletary doesn't know that he should have caught that pass. Like, what is the lesson that you're trying to instill there? You should have caught it, right? Like, he needs to sit and think about how he should have caught it. The guy's an adult. Like, he's a professional football player. He knows he messed up. Nicole Hardman went back to the sidelines and threw his coat over his head and wanted to crawl into a hole. And Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey went over there and said, you're going to be, you're going to make the play. I, I don't even, Patrick Mahomes might have even went to Andy Reid and said, let me, they threw a screen to him on like the first pass. Didn't go anywhere, but it was like, all right, they're trying to get this guy involved, trying to make him forget about it. Later in the game, he runs a 50 yard run, uh, catches the bills with their pants down to start the second half. Um, I, I, I do find, I thought that was a really good point uh, that you made because even when they were down nine to nothing, the Chiefs didn't seem bothered at all. The Bills seemed more bothered to be up nine nothing than the Chiefs did to be down. You know, it was just like they were still white knuckling it and, you know, being so scared to be. I don't know. The, I texted my dad because he was one of the only ones that would appreciate it, but I said, you know, Sean McDermott must be a really big rush fan because he really wanted that score to be 21-12 at the end of the half. Uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, other than that, I have no idea why he was so concerned with getting those three points. But the and isn't overall... Sean McDermott hurting himself by benching Devin Singletary for t- for a guy who's played has barely gotten touches all season? T.J. Yeldon, he's a garbage time running back when he's dressed. He's a healthy scratch most weeks during the regular season, and Granted, Except I know he looks like he should play out, more when he gets out there. Well, he yeah, looked good. He looked actually better. looked pretty yeah. good. But I, I just, I mean, all right. So my question is why they questions. bury TJ Yeldon. I think it's because he's fumbled in the past. Running backs are held to this much higher standard than any player that Andre Roberts didn't get benched when he fumbled on a kickoff earlier this year. Josh Allen never gets benched for his yeah, reckless right. fumbles. Dawson Knox doesn't get benched for dropping passes. But running backs, if you put that ball on the turf once, you might as well pack your bags and leave. As if they don't know it. As if they don't know that that's what they're supposed to do. Like, it's supposed to teach them some lesson that is, like, fundamental to what they do. And it's the AFC Championship game. If you want to do that in Week 7 because Singletary's been holding the ball like a loaf of bread and you really need to make him think about it, that's one thing. In the AFC Championship game, when he drops a pass, it's like, man, like, you're really reinforcing something to that guy mentally in a game that is already hugely emotional uh, hugely high pressure psychologically, and you're just reinforcing that pressure. Like it was the same He's good thing. Good enough in, to be your starter, but in the most important game of the season, you're going to say we're going to do without you. We don't. And then we're, we're going to put you back in at some who was, point. Who was a healthy like, scratch all season? We'll put you back in at some point, but now you're going to have that in the back of your right. head that one more of those, and and you're done. Go he ahead. came back in in the second half, in the third quarter. I'm sorry, Jerry. Go like ahead. a month last year, trying to get McDermott to admit that Singletary was his best back, and he wouldn't. He just he hasn't seemed to have a lot of confidence in him all along. After averaging five yards a carry last year, I thought he was going to emerge a little bit this year, and it was like they were holding him back. Now Moss is a more a more pure running back, but I think they've done a lot to damage Singletary's confidence this year and that was uh, the ultimate example i mean taylor dropped a pass in the first quarter for indy they're they're back dobbins dropped one for the ravens now they didn't win the games they didn't bench those guys is he is your guy or is he i agree 
Jerry, let's let, what has you most excited about these guys? Let's uh, let's let's hit the home stretch with some uh, with some positive thoughts. It's Josh, because- it's Josh Allen. He just had the greatest one year improvement in accuracy in the history of the league. I, I, I've been going through the. There's one other guy, but no one's ever gone from 59 to 70 percent. It was astonishing. He's a franchise quarterback. He's not as good as Patrick Mahomes, but in terms of a guy that to embrace and that's going to bring you fun football, I mean, Josh Allen, I mean, the whole country enjoys watching Josh Allen, but it's a little bit of a deal with the devil at the times because uh, he, he does some weird things. And will he build? I mean, how much can he build on that? We'll find out, but it's, it, it's going to be fun. What I worry about if, is that other teams and other quarterbacks are going to evolve and how much better is he going to be? Maybe he's not as good as Mahomes, how much better is he going to be than Herbert down the road? How much better than Burrow or even Tua or whoever else comes into the league, Trevor Lawrence? It seems all the good quarterbacks have been coming into the AFC. Um, they, could, they could be really good next year again and like the 89 Bills go 9-7. and seven. But that's a long way of answering your question. Josh Allen has made this a fun franchise again. And uh, if, if they don't get to a Super Bowl with him, it's going to be pretty disappointing. But it's going to be fun in the short term. But a pattern has been established that two years in a row, Josh Allen and the Bills lose against a quarterback that the Bills could have drafted the year before Josh Allen. And some of that's coincidence. But if that keeps happening against Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, then that could be the theme of Josh Allen's career. Great quarterback, but not as great as the guys we could have had. They could have had. I don't remind people of that. Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw friends wanted to behead you on Twitter because you mentioned that after the game. Not the first time. The 89 Bills went 9-7 and seven and had a first-round bye. So um, that's one of the things that's kind of pointed to. You take a look at the records of those times uh, and how weak the AFC was uh, back. Uh, you know, those were the years that the, the you just get to the Super Bowl and then the NFC would score 50 points. Um, when people talk about the Bills dynasty and uh, how what the AFC looked like, even though it did have great quarterbacks, the you know the division, you know the the '83 draft created uh, one of the you know one of the deepest. Those were all AFC quarterbacks, right? Elway, Eason. Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, Ken O'Brien, and Tony Eason. In fact, four of them, four of them were in, five of them if you count. Uh, Elway before he got traded is the entire division because the Baltimore Colts drafted John Elway and then traded him to Denver. So you were looking at five uh, first round quarterbacks drafted in the AFC East. The bills of course had to wait a few years before Jim Kelly showed up uh, because of the USFL. But um, anyways, I don't yeah, know why I mentioned great point, great point by Sully to note these other quarterbacks in the AFC because I think where Deshaun Watson lands, he's already in the AFC, but if he lands out of the AFC potentially, or if he's in the division, that's a problem. If Stafford switches conferences, um, he's not young, but he's a guy that could put a team like the Colts or the Patriots in a different category. Um, didn't really even mention, you know, Lamar Jackson, who's still, you know, an MVP um, winner. Baker Mayfield uh, had a had a good year and could continue to grow. So, yeah, I Trevor thought that Lawrence was something. Coming to the AFC. 
Yeah, Trevor Lawrence will be in the AFC. Uh, maybe another one of these young quarterbacks, uh, Trey Lance or Justin Fields, will land in the AFC. So, I mean, there's a lot of talk about these quarterbacks that could move around. People are floating Aaron Rodgers around. Um, you know, there's going to be a quarterback shuffle happening. And depending on how it all shakes out, the point Sully made in his column about, you know, Philip Rivers, the career that he had and never got all the way to a Super Bowl. Um, one title game, right, Sully? Mm, one. Like, you know, so look at Aaron Rodgers, his career. Um, I think the difference between guys like Aaron Rodgers, guys like Tom Brady, and even Patrick Mahomes, who's now reached multiple Super Bowls, is the coaching piece can really put you over the edge. And Rodgers has never really had that, you know, top-end coach. I think LaFleur is pretty good. But, like, yeah, it's it's not – this idea that there's nowhere to go but up is no longer a foregone conclusion for the Bills because they got pretty damn high this year. And it's only since 2014, only two teams have been to multiple AFC championship games, the Patriots and the Chiefs. So they have to they have to find out whether they're in that category or whether they're in that Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, Phillip Rivers category of teams that have a really good quarterback but can't figure everything else out. Jerry, closing thoughts? Don't have a lot because we don't have time to talk basketball, but uh, I'm glad to see that uh, they're going to start playing high school basketball again. Last thoughts on the Bills. Um, it's going to be an interesting offseason, obviously. What what they do, it's it's amazing how a team could be this good and this exciting and this new and still have so many changes coming and so many things that they need to improve. I mean, they need a, they need a receiver. They need a running back. <laughs> what? Uh, an offensive lineman. So, uh and the draft isn't going to give them a whole lot of help. So it's going to be. They could use a tight end. Yeah, t- tight end. I want to make a, a lineman. Can I make a quick point about Sully and your columns? I want to just say that because if people are listening and they're not aware, you do still write the Bills columns in the Niagara Gazette on, on pretty much a weekly basis. And I don't know if everybody really sees that. So they should go out of their way to try to find those columns if they do. Because we're missing that kind of critical perspective in the coverage from the other newspapers and many of the TV stations and even the athletic, you guys don't really do columns a lot. It's a different kind of approach to covering the team. I wish there were ways that maybe you were given opportunities to write the column more often if you wanted to, but you know, your column still is very unique to what anybody else that covers this team does. And I think that everybody should be reading it to balance against a lot of the Homerish coverage that comes from other outlets. I appreciate that. My columns this year were once a week, but pretty, pretty positive, obviously, with a with a perspective and comparing them to teams of the past, and 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 particularly in their case, how they had finally become a passing team in a passing era after all those years where they threw the ball fewer times than anybody in the league, and how exciting that was. And they're still that team. They're a modern NFL offensive team, which is part of the reason to be be optimistic because they're fun. And there's people out there writing things that look like columns and they call them columns and they're not columns. And there's no criticism and no understanding of, of what a column about the bill should be saying. Yeah, I, I get, I see that quite a, I see a lot of, it's going to be okay. You know, a lot of the, the columns, like, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Well, you got to go a little deeper than that. And um, Sully definitely goes deeper than that with his research. There's statistical basis behind it. There's anecdotal 
uh, basis behind it with his experience, having covered those teams uh, in the, from the Super Bowl. And he's seen the good and the bad. And, and then other sports, too. There's so many, like Sully bringing up the Sabres. There are so many sports as sports. And people are people. And it doesn't just have to be related to the other team that you remember from, from Western New York from you know, 20, 30 years ago, which maybe I'm guilty of doing that too often. Um, but I will say, since he's sitting here uh, with us on this call, that there is a Mizzou connection uh, when it comes to some sharpened criticism because Matthew Fairburn doesn't back down from it. I'm a wuss. Nice but. tree, by the way. Oh, just, yeah. just Jonas tree. No one's going to say anything about the tree. Oh, I was earlier, and then I forgot. The tree is a lot closer than it usually is. <laughs> it's creeping up on us. What's going on there? Is it I a tree or a shrub? The tree is just there to kind of provide a background and block off the door. Oh, okay. But and you moved it closer so we see less of what's in, in that other room. I thought it filled the space a little better if I moved it closer. It does. Soon, I also like moving around it. <laughs> I like having the tree in different spots every week and having people kind of scavenger hunt for it. Or the tree's going to strangle him while on the podcast <laughs> one of these days. I like the people that just listen to this podcast and don't watch the videos and they're wondering what the heck we're talking about and they're always waiting for us to talk about the tree. That's a little Easter egg for them. I think we're talking about the big tree. Yeah. Oh. Well, on that Jerry, note, before we let you go, though, you. Uh, Let's make it a tradition. You did it the last time. Show us something in your room. You showed us you had an Ernie D. Gregorio thing last time. What's something on the off the wall or a show us your Zubat? Uh, some Jerry Sullivan memorabilia. Oh, I got it. Because they were if they'd made the Super Bowl, they wanted me to find memorabilia from me. It's this is uh me interviewing Jim Kelly. It's in a media day in 19, uh, would have been 91, 96. Right, at the, uh, in Tampa. I'm Bay. looking up him in a adoring way, aren't I? Aren't I? <laughs> Looks like an exclusive there, huh, Jer? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but that's that's what I have. I have lots of stuff in the room. We could, you know, it's like some kid show where you have a little bag every time. Little you props. Go and, just go and tell. I mean, I, I got to interview an ice skater at 2.30. I, you know, I have to go to the bathroom because I've been drinking beer. Could you let me go? Goodbye, Jerry. No, no, no. I'm going to go. You don't have to let me go. I'm leaving. That's right. Bye, Jerry. Bye. Bye Thanks Jerry. for doing this. That's Welcome. Jerry Sullivan of WIVB and uh, and the Niagara Gazette. Is he going to turn off the camera? Or is he no, just gonna he leave? did. I should have had it on the gallery view, and you could see that now he's just gone with the door open. He just got up and walked out. Microphone on. is still on. May pick up some ambient sound here. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I hope he doesn't. He's, he's going to come in and do a Jeffrey Tubin on us. <laughs> <laughs> you know what and there are people who might be watching this saying oh this could be good i'm gonna save jerry from himself <laughs> because that some not that but he could he could do something all right so we'll say goodbye jonah bronstein of uh, bronstein uh, network services uh i'm sorry I, I said that wrong it's network systems sorry to get your company wrong yeah jonah. get it right and uh and matthew fairburn also of the athletic this has been tim graham and friends brought to you by ctbk